0: Oh Jesus, I pray this morning that our hearts would be open. I pray this morning, Father, Lord, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be open and receptive to your words alone, Father, this morning, God, as we're challenged in the very uh, cornerstone of our faith, Father, this morning, God. I pray, Lord, that hearts would be open, that walls would tear down, Father. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would be here, Father God, and that, Lord, that those of us who need to make changes, those of us who need to encounter you, Father God, would, we all, we all need a touch from you this morning, Father God. So, Lord, we'll submit this time to you. We'll submit our agendas to you, Father, and we'll just ask for you to come and be with us in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Would you stand with me? We're going to get right into our scripture this morning. Today ends our series on the parables, and today we're doing the parable of the lost sheep. (laughs) So if you'll read with me. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it does bring life. I pray that our hearts are open and receptive to it today. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to know that I am here today motive-driven. And my motive today is for us and our faith to be challenged. My motive today is that your Christianity be put on the line, and that you define who it is that you say that you are and who it is that you say that you follow. Today, I want to talk to you about this concept of being a follower of Jesus Christ. When I was praying about today's message, God gave me a word for our body, and I was a little bit timid in bringing it at first because I believe, I just honestly, I was a little bit nervous that it was going to offend some people. And, uh, and as, I, as I began to pray and begin to talk to the Lord about it, I even asked him if I had to share it, and, uh, and, and he said, it's okay. Do you know it's okay for you to be offended? Do you know that sometimes Jesus used offense to stretch you and to grow you and to mature you to be more and more like him? All in Scripture, we find Jesus speaking to people. He was offending people left and right, left and right. People were looking at him with such offense to the point that they wanted to put him on a cross and kill him. And so this morning, if anything that you've already seen from our 180 group has offended you, it's okay. You're growing. We're all in process. And if there's anything that I'm going to say that offends you, it's okay too. I'm just going to pray that you are working through it and God begins to speak to you and, and speaks to your heart this morning. Amen? Amen. So God's word for today, I believe, is a fierce and a strong word. And this is what he said to me. He said, I want you to tell the people that today I want to tear through facades and I want to rip down reputations. I want to tear through facades and I want to rip apart reputations. I feel like the Lord wants me to tell you that he has found you, that he has found you, and it's time to move beyond the menta- mentality of the lost and into the reality of the found. He wants to move you beyond the mentality of the lost and into the reality of the found this morning. Scripture tells us in Isaiah 53, all of us like sheep have gone astray. And I know that you can't look at one person in this room that can't attest to the fact that at some point in your life, you have gone astray At some point in your life, there has been a blemish made on your life. And some of us live that day to day to day, struggling through, week to week, struggling through, the marks insurmountable. So we understand what it is to be blemished and go astray. I believe that there are people here this morning that have been found, but it's only on the external. There's rejoicing on the external but there's real bitterness and crying in walls internally. And I believe that God wants to get to the very core of our hearts this morning into the deep crevices and cracks that we so cleverly conceal with our facades and with the walls that we build. Do you know that a facade, all that is, is a wall that we build and a picture that we paint that we want everybody to see? And as we become more and more acclimated to perhaps a church body, it becomes harder and harder to walk away from that facade because what will they think about me? What will she say about me? What will happen if they see me go forward? What will they be thinking? So, my question today for our body, in keeping with what I feel like the Lord has given us, is are you a fan of Jesus Christ or are you a follower? Are you a fan of Jesus Christ or are you a follower? I've been a fan of many things. In fact, I remember Laverne High School. That was the school that I went to. And um, I remember uh, the first few days of school, I told my friend Jamie, I said, I'm going to make a change at this school. I'm going to leave my mark at this school. And so it was first period one morning and I I just left class. I got right up out of class and I left. And I went into the hallway, and I started screaming down the hallway one of the cheers that the cheerleaders do. I don't remember what it was, some cheer. But I I just started yelling cheers in the middle of first period, and I started opening teachers' doors, saying the cheers, inviting people to come with me out in the hallway. And before you knew it, the entire school during first period was out in the hallway doing a spirit run in the halls of Laverne High School. And because of my boldness and because of my audacity to do that, not one teacher questioned whether this was approved, whether this was... Any. I just did that. And from that point forward, whenever I felt like doing a spirit run, when test was coming up on Friday, we did a spirit run that period. Every single week, we did a spirit run during the football season. I remember one time there was the superintendent was visiting and I come... I usually was about, you know way ahead of the crowd because I was opening doors with her. I came around the corner and the teacher looked at me and she knew exactly what was about to happen. And the superintendent standing there, I said, get ready, here it comes. And out the door, they just all trampled all over him. I was a diehard fan at my my school. I was the one that would paint his chest with a big L for LHS and I would run with the flag. And I just, I loved cheering for the Wolverines. Now we were horrible, but I loved cheering for them. (laughs) For all you Smyrna people. Okay. But I will say it was my senior year that we beat Smyrna High School in football. Okay? My senior year. Only time it happened, only time it probably will happen, but it did. But man, I was a fan and I was a faithful fan. And I had all of the perks of being a fan. But you know, one of the things, one of the characteristics of a fan is that you'll be at every event. and fans are event-driven. Fans are event-driven. We go from event, fans go event to event to event to event, waiting for the next thing. And isn't that how some of us are in the body of Christ? Waiting for the next thing, waiting for the next revival, waiting for the next prayer meeting, waiting for the next big thing that's popular so it doesn't make me have to commit or sacrifice or do anything on my part. Fans are Uh, different and, and unique in a way that they want all the benefits of being a part of the events and being a part of the fan club, but they have no real knowledge or real relationship with anyone on the team. Are you a fan or are you a follower of Jesus Christ? A fan is defined as an enthusiastic admirer. An enthusiastic admirer. Are you an enthusiastic admirer of Jesus Christ? Are you showing up to all of the church events with your, pay, your, your chest painted, big JC? Are you raising your hands and worshiping and shouting louder than anybody around you? Are you writing the largest check and putting in the offering plate and calling that a relationship with Jesus Christ? This morning, I want to challenge you in your faith because I believe that in this room, we have fans. And in this room, I believe that there are followers. Which are you? which best and more most accurately describes who you are. Last week we went to, two weeks ago, I'm sorry, we went to the Dominican Republic, the young adults, and we had a fantastic time in the Dominican Republic. And while I was there, Stan, as everybody says when they come on mission, come back from mission trips, man, I just have so much. God just gave me so much. And that same is true with us, all of us received just uh, just many, many, many things from the Lord. And one of the things the Lord did in my life was challenge me on this principle of, are you a fan, or are you a follower? And I'm, I'm taking a lot of today from um, a book called Not a Fan by Carl Eidelman. And this is my attempt to give him credit for where credit's due, okay? So if you want to, you should get this book. I think it will really rock your world, and it has mine. <clears throat> I want to start by saying there is absolutely nothing, there is absolutely nothing more important than being a follower of Jesus Christ. There is absolutely nothing more important in your life than being a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to note something that's very important here. I did not say the most important thing in your life is being a believer of Jesus Christ. I purposely said that the most important decision that you ever make is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I believe that the church at large, the church at meaning the whole body of Christ, I think we have done a disservice to Christianity in separating the message of the believer and the follower. The believer and the follower. Guys, believing and following are intertwined. Believing and following cannot be separated. Believing and following are are connected together at the hip and they're not to be separated. Biblical belief, biblical belief is following. So are you a follower or are you a fan? And I don't mean to offend because I used to think this way, but I don't believe a prayer that I said when I was nine years old is the only thing that got me into heaven to where I turn around and I can live a life, whatever I want to live, and just meet him at the pearly gates. I don't go from nine-year-old to pearly gates because let me tell you something. I don't want to go there quite yet. I'm getting ahead of myself. James, James chapter two says this. You believe that there is one God? God? That's good. So do the demons and they shudder. Jesus says about five times in the New Testament, believe in me. He says about 20 times in the New Testament, follow me, follow me. There's a difference. There's a difference. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying that believing is more, uh, more or less important than following. I'm saying that the two go together to produce your faith. So for those of us who would stand up and proclaim, I am a Christian today, my question to you is, are you a fan or are you a follower? Are you a fan or are you a follower? Have you ever encountered anyone with major B.O.? <laughs> I'm serious. Who has B.O. in this room? All right, all right. Major B.O. I'm talking about the kind of B.O. that will knock you down, okay? B.O. that will just turn your head. I'm talking about belief and obedience. (laughs) Belief and obedience. There is no believing without following. There is no following without obedience. And where there's no obedience, there's no faith. Let me say that again. There is no believing without following. There is no following without obedience. And where there is no obedience, there is no faith. Jesus Christ desires your absolute everything and all. And he desires for you to be obedient to him and follow him wherever he goes. I have trouble following people that I don't have a relationship with. I don't know about you. Maybe you run your life in a militant style where you don't have any relationship with your leader and you just walk. But you know what? The reason I have been groomed and brought up the way I have is because I have leaders in my life here at this, at this church who love me, who have built relationships with me, have spoken into my life and have been able to say some really hard things to me and stretch me and grow me. The elders and the staff of this church have so surrounded me to, to, to produce in me and and call out the things in me that Jesus has put there. So when they say go, I'm going to go because why? I trust them because I have a relationship with them. It's hard for you to be obedient, let alone hear from Jesus, if you don't have a relationship with him. Because when Jesus says go, you say, how come? When Jesus says do, you say why? When Jesus says go, you say, maybe when I get around to it. Because you haven't built a relationship with him and you don't know, you don't know, you don't know the reason, you don't know what it is, you don't know why he's asking you that. But if you had a relationship with you, you'd understand it doesn't matter. You're doing it out of obedience because you're dying to yourself. Some of us, I believe, have gotten into a checklist mentality in our faith. I believe that some of us have decided that I'm going to go to church every Sunday and you know what? On a good week, I might show up on a Wednesday. I've given in the tithe and offering. I've gone on a mission trip. I serve in the various ministries. I'm good to go. I'm doing all these things. Jesus, I am a follower because I do all these things. Let me tell you what that's likened to in a marriage. That's like me going home to my wife, not saying a word to her and cleaning the house, doing the dishes, making the bed, taking out the trash. And walking out the door. Tell me how long my marriage will sustain if those are my objectives and that's my main purpose and that's my goal. Let me tell you what scripture tells us. It says, Jesus is talking here. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, we did not. Did we not prophesy in your name? and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform miracles, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Some of you are expecting to get to that day and go before Jesus and give him a list, a long resume of everything that you've ever done. And he's going to look you eyeball to eyeball and say, I never knew you. He's going to look you eyeball to eyeball and say, I never knew you. The the subject matter of today's message is so important. I'm not talking about how to live your life and and, uh, and, and, those, and there's many messages that, that help refine us as Christians, but I'm talking about the very cornerstone of our faith this morning. I'm talking about the very basis and the foundation of Christianity this morning. Are you a believer and follower of Jesus Christ? Are you a fan or are you a follower this morning? Say, that's deep. I don't want to say anything this morning, Kevin. I want to spend some time this morning talking about the fan versus the follower mentality because I believe there are some here today that are fans wearing the facade of a follower. And so what Jesus decides, uh, what Jesus needs us to do, and what I believe that we need to do, is we need to define the relationship. How many have ever been in a relationship before? Or are presently in a relationship. Okay, most people, most people have experienced relationship before. And everything is going great, and a certain time comes along in your relationship where it's time to have the conversation, the talk. Okay, girls know what I'm talking about, yeah. Okay, guys t- t- typically try to avoid that, you know, but it's time to define the relationship. I remember when I met Sherry. I was amazed at her beauty and her good looks, and her personality, and how wonderful she was. And she was enamored by how awesome I was, (laughs) how studly and patient and long-suffering, how kind and gentle and humble (laughs) I am. And it came a point in our relationship that we needed to define the relationship. And if I remember it correctly, I believe it went a little something like this. Fly me to the moon. Let me play among the stars. Let me see what spring is like on Something like that, something like that. <laughs> Actually, that's not at all how it went. Uh, in fact, when I first met her, I think she thought I was a creep. Um, <laughs> she, uh, our first defined the Relationship conversation, she told me I had never, ever, ever, ever been in a relationship, and I'm not about to change that today, okay? <laughs> that's how our first DTR went. Of course, we know the end of the story. Yeah, yeah. Amen. She's blessed. Um, (laughs) I'm more blessed. I'm more blessed. Wouldn't it have been awesome if my DTR, if I could go around and tell everybody that's how my DTR where Sherry went? Wouldn't that be an awesome, awesome story to be able to tell? that something magical like that happened, it sure would do wonders for my reputation. It it sure would do wonders for the way people perceive me. Oh, he must be wonderful. He must be great. He must be incredible. And I wonder how many fictitious facades I put on for people regarding my relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm telling you guys, I'm and if it's stepping on your toes, this has been still stepping on my toes today. okay? so this isn't something where I'm giving you something that I'm like, hey, I got this together. Not at all. I'm working through this. So I'm just giving you what I have. Jesus Christ is very intentional about having a relationship with you. Did you know that Jesus wants to interfere with your life? He wants to interfere with every piece and nugget and nook and cranny of your life. He wants every part of it so much that he's not willing to share you with anybody or anything, period. Let me tell you what, how Jesus wants to know you. There's a word in the Hebrew called yada. And uh, yada in the Old Testament is used to describe uh, the intimacy between a man and a woman. Okay, the, how you would know maybe your spouse. It's not just know you like I know your name or an acquaintance, but it's an intimate knowledge of one another. And I, I believe I, I read, don't quote me on this, I believe I read it it's about 830 times in the Old Testament. So big, big word, but this is what it means. And, and to, to give us some scripture here uh, to put in reference, in Genesis 4, Adam knew Yada, his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain. Cain knew Yada his wife and she conceived and bore Enoch. Adam knew Yada his wife again and she bore a son and named him Seth. Yada, 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 yada. <laughs> okay. And Yada led to you being here. So um, <clears throat> the intimacy that a man and a woman would share, or any intimate connection like that. Words very similar to this type of definition are what Jesus Christ used to define what he wants with you and us, you and me. OK, he wants us to have this type of intimate connection with him. So I want you to think of your spouse or I want you to think of a significant other, or I want you to think of your most intimate connection. And I want you to ask yourself, is your relationship with Jesus Christ, does it supersede that connection? That's an important question. Does it supersede? And do you know something about God? He's jealous. He is a jealous God. He doesn't want to share you with anyone or anything. And in fact, he'll take a back seat and he'll just wait until you come around and give him your absolute all. There are people who know Jesus and there are people who know about Jesus. Which are you? If following Jesus would cost you everything, would it still be worth it? If Jesus, uh, Jesus wants those who are not pretending to have it all together. Guys, I don't have it all together. So I know some of you do, but I don't. OK, I don't have it all together. But guess what? He's not looking for for, for, for perfection. There are people out there that want the benefits of being a follower, but want to give the commitment of a fan. So here's what it boils down to. The very essence of our relationship with Jesus Christ and following him is this. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So who's the invitation extended to? Who's the invitation extended to? Anyone. Anyone. Does that mean alcoholics? Anyone. Does that mean sexual past? Anyone. Does that mean thief? Anyone. Ex-con? Drunk? Pothead? Divorced? Addict? Republican? Democrat? Everybody. Everybody, everybody, anybody. The invitation is open to anybody. And some of us... Don't even get that far because we're too worried about who the anyone would be. Jesus never asked us to get cleaned up before we come to him. And when the shepherd finds his sheep, he is not at all concerned about the mess it's in. He rejoices because what has been lost is now found. And I dare to tell you that there is more than one being found experience in my life. Every single day, I probably go through an experience where the Lord is finding me because I am dumb just like a sheep. I go astray so much and the Lord has to come and he has to call after me and I am so thankful That I am in process with this relationship because when he calls my name, I hear him and I turn around and I start walking in the direction that I'm supposed to go. But if I didn't have a relationship with him, I would look over my shoulder and I would say "Huh," and I would keep walking the way that I am. And you know what? He's after me. He's pursuing me. But guess what? He wants me to pursue him. He wants me to give. He doesn't want to share whatever's over there with with him. He wants me to give my all completely to him. Where are you today? Where do you sit? Are you a fan or are you a follower this morning of Jesus Christ? What does your faith mean to you? I got the T-shirt. Got the wristband. I look the part. But what's the truth? What's my heart like? When Jesus was walking up the hill of Calvary, he couldn't ever carry, uh, when he's walking up the hill of of Calvary, we learn that somebody helped him carry his cross part of the way. And you know, for me, what that speaks to me is Jesus Christ was not only our atonement for our sin, but he also was the failure for us. Because guess what? There are going to be days when I take up my cross and I drop it. I drop it. And he represents that failure as he was going to the cross. He represents the fact that we're not going to make it all the time. Let me read this story from this, book, this section here. A few years ago, this is the author writing. A few years ago, I'm just going all over the place with this. Let's go there. There we go. A few years ago, my wife bought a white love seat to go in the room where the white carpet in, with the white carpet in the house. I should tell you that we didn't put in the white carpet. It was the lovely decision of the childless couple that occupied the residence prior to us. My wife justified buying the white love seat because it was so cheap that it would have been poor stewardship not to buy it. (laughs) So we had a white couch on the white carpet, but my wife laid down the law and made sure that the kids knew that they were not allowed in the white room. It seemed to be working fine until one day my wife was straightening up that room and she discovered a secret that someone had been keeping. She happened to flip over one of the couch cushions and there was a stain. She called me into the room and showed me the pink fingernail polish blotched on the white cushion. She wasn't happy. We called our girls into the room. She had the cushion flipped back over so you couldn't see the stain. The interrogation was about to begin. But, I reached, but as I reached toward the cushion to expose the stain... My middle daughter Morgan cracked. She turned and ran up the step, ran up the steps. Just before I flipped over the cushion, Morgan turned and ran. She headed up the steps and hid. I went after her. I called her name a few times and she didn't answer. I began to check the rooms and eventually found her in a closet with her head buried in her knees. I could hear her crying. She didn't want to look up. I got down in the closet with her and put my hand on her back. I wonder what she thought my response was going to be. Did she think I would get angry? Did she think I would yell? Was she afraid that I wouldn't love her? We went downstairs together, and she told her mom and me what happened. She let out the secret she had been keeping for months. She had spilt the fingernail polish, and she tried to clean it up. She scrubbed and scrubbed, but the sting just got worse. Eventually, she flipped the cushion over to hide what she had done. She said she had felt sick to her stomach every time we were in that room. She was scared we would find out. And then she asked the question that melted us. She looked up with her big brown eyes full of tears and asked, do you still love me? Morgan asked, do you still love me? My wife knelt down beside her on the floor and she whispered to our daughter, Morgan, you can never make a big enough stain to keep me from loving you. I wish I could tell you that somehow we were able to get the stain out and make the couch white again. But that stain is still there. It will always be there. But a funny thing happened. Morgan started telling the story of the stained white couch. She likes to show people the stain and tell them what happened. Why? Because the stain that once represented shame and guilt and fear of rejection now represents love, grace, and acceptance. It does not matter how blemished you are. It does not matter how many scars you have received or where your life is right now at this moment. What matters right now at this moment is will you make a decision to say, whatever it is, God, I follow you. No matter what it is, I'll follow you. He paid the price at Calvary to cover all the stains that you could ever make up in this world. All the blemishes, all the hurt, all the pain, all the decisions, all the bad things. He covered all of that so that you and I can make a decision to follow him. And so he makes us, he gives us an invitation. And he says, come after me. Come after me. If anyone would come after me, anyone, come after me. Some of us, had, some of us have the let's move in together relationship with Jesus. You know what I'm talking about. I I want all the benefits of this relationship, but I don't really want to make a commitment. Let me read one more thing. There's a magazine that writes, this is what a commitment of a not married couple makes to each other, the vows that they make. I, John, take you, Mary, to be my cohabitant, to have sex with and to share bills with. I'll be around while things are good, but I probably won't be if things get tough. If you should get a cold, I'll run to the drugstore for some medicine. If you get sick to the point where you can no longer meet my needs, then I'll have you move on. I'll have to move on. Forsaking many others, I will be more or less faithful to you for as long as it feels good to me. If we should break up, it doesn't mean this wasn't special for me. I commit to live with you as long as this works out. How many of us are living that type of relationship with Jesus Christ? I want the benefits of this relationship, but I'm not willing to give you the commitment. I want the benefits of what you can give me, Jesus, but I don't want to sacrifice anything. That's not what we're called to do. That's not what it is. There is no believing without following. There's no following without obedience. And where there's no obedience, there is no faith. And so what we're asked to do is we're asked to deny ourselves. And we, re- we rarely make the cho- choice to become less. We fight and claw our way up to the top. But when the king of kings dies on a hill called Calvary, it's an example for us to follow. So we are to take up our cross. I'm going to read some slogans of some popular products that maybe some of you have uh, of, uh, purchased or been a part of. And I want to see if you guys can get these. Okay, ready? Ready? Yeah. Okay, good. Melts in your mouth, not in your hand. Yeah. Good. Snap, crackle, pop. Once you pop, you can't stop. Good. I'm loving it. All right. Reach out and touch someone. AT&T. Get in or get out. <laughs> Nintendo 64. <laughs> the real thing. The slogan for a follower of Jesus Christ is this. Come and die. It's not really a real popular thing. It's not something that you want to put on the front of the billboard of a church. Hey, come to our church this weekend. We're inviting you to come and die. In fact, it sounds like a horror flick that we'd show, you know, in October or something like that. But but actually, the truth of the matter is, is that we are extended an invitation to die to ourselves every single day. Because the life that we think we're living, we aren't really living. Unless we die to ourselves and start living like he wants us to live. And so come and die is the slogan for the followers of Jesus Christ. Wake up every morning and say, God, before I do one thing this morning, I surrender my all to you. I die to myself. I die to my spouse. I die to my job. I die to my money. I die to my possessions. I die to my relationship. I die to absolute everything so that there's nothing I can do but follow and listen to you. You know, it's real interesting. And I don't mean to be uncouth, but it's real interesting, dead people. Dead people don't really care about what you say about them. They don't really care what they look like. They don't really care what you say. They don't really care any much more how much money they make or where they work or what you're going to do on that day. They're dead. Every single day, living a life that says, Jesus Christ, I don't care what people say. I don't care what it looks like. If you say do it, if you say go, I'll go. If you say do this, I'll do it. And it's more than a to-do list, Jesus. Can we spend time together today? Can I get in your presence today? Can you empty me and fill me up with you every single day? I'm so thankful that the call isn't take up your cross yearly, take up your cross weekly, take up your cross decadely. No, it's take up your cross daily daily. And the reason it's daily is because I can't handle a minute. (laughs) I can't handle a half hour. I can't handle an hour. I need it to be daily. And he understands that. take up your cross every single day, moment to moment. Whenever, wherever, whatever, my relationship to Jesus Christ is that I'm a slave to him. Because there was a day when I was heading in the direction of death to the very pits of hell. And there was a day when he reached down and he said, no. I want you. And he called me by my name. And I had a choice at that moment to stop walking toward death and walk toward life. And when he gave me that gift of salvation and I start walking this way, it took all the change off of me and it set me free. And I start walking toward life and I start walking through toward Christ. And there's a tendency sometime to want to hold on to the reputation I received walking this way and because I've developed a relationship with him, I'm able to listen when I don't get it right. And I start walking this way. Why do I want to be a slave? Why do I want to die to myself? Because without him, I am dead. Without him, I don't have life. Without him, I'm headed to hell. And so out of gratitude, out of thanksgiving, out of the very mere fact that he had grace enough on my life to turn me around and walk this way. I want to be a slave to him. I'm running out of time. Real quick. Worship team, come on on up. I've learned that many Christians long to be found. But none of us desire to be found out. There's a lot of benefits to being found. It's not really fun to be found out. And I believe that if you're hiding behind a facade and a reputation this morning then you're you're fine which is being found. And God's not in the business, I don't think, of making your sin big and huge to the world, but he is in the business of finding it out so that he can come into that place and fill it with his presence. Get that sin out of there so you can start walking toward him. Are you a fan this morning or are you a follower? Because guys, your soul rests in the balance. Would you stand with me this morning? He says that I am the great shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I lay my life down for the sheep. He's laid his life down for you. Are you willing to do the same for him? Are you willing to die to yourself? Are you willing to make that sacrifice? Are you willing to set aside your reputation and facade of the people in this room, your family, your friends, everything, to come and make a real decision for Jesus Christ and say, Jesus Christ, this is it. I'm abandoning all else to you. I'm gonna follow you have a real relationship with you today's the day of salvation guys with those who are going to pray come forward this song that they're going to sing was a song that we sang in the Dominican and it's just pivotal for me because it's where I have to start if I'm going to surrender my all I've got to be empty so you come there's no judgment in this room because we've all gone astray there's nothing nobody's really caring Whether or not it's to be between you and God, so if you need to do some business with the Lord, you come on down and sing. Going to church was an excuse for me not to spend time with the Lord on Sunday. I want to encourage you tonight to get into your word and spend one on one time with Him. Spend one on one time with Him. And really just get before Him and talk to Him. Tell Him about you. Tell Him what's going on with you because He wants to hear. Raise your hand. Let me give you a blessing. May the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Take you into uncharted territory with him as you follow him passionately, pursuing him with a relationship that's like none other, following him to the very ends of the earth, defining your faith along the way. In Jesus' name, amen. Be blessed.